0: What is truth? Seldom black and white, usually complex. The fifth column goes on the inside in search of it.
1: I met John Kelly in the Bloody Sunday Museum where he works as the education and outreach officer. His brother Michael was the youngest victim. In the background to this interview, you can sometimes hear the soundtrack of screaming and panic recorded on Bloody Sunday itself, which constantly plays on a loop. It's a haunting place. Surrounding us were display cabinets of blood-stained clothes and banners, horrific photographs of the dead and personal artefacts of those who died. John told me that Michael was only 17, a peaceful young man whose life consisted of his job, his beloved pigeons and his girlfriend. He'd never been on a march before and had no interest in politics. On the day of Bloody Sunday, he decided he wanted to join everyone else. His parents were reluctant but eventually, John and others persuaded them to let him go, on the understanding that if any riots did break out, he'd come straight home. According to John, the day began in a fine mood as the marchers laughed, joked, and sang their way down to the bogside.
0: I was walking through the Kerr Parkle Russell flats when the show opened up. The pars are in, the parser are in. And I, like hundreds of others, decided to run. I dived for cover, like everyone else. And when I got run the far side, the shooting began. So I, I lay there and listened to the shooting going on and on and on, you know. And But after a while, I decided to uh, get out of the area. And there came a lull in the shooting at one point. So I decided to get run across Roswell Street. And as I ran across, the shooting began again. I felt two bullets whizz past my head, you know, so... I took cover again and then we waited until the shooting ended completely. When all of a sudden I heard a call from behind me John, John come on quick, Michael's been shot. I ran, helped to carry him to the ambulance, and, um, and then I think Jerry McKinney was brought in as well, plus uh, Joe Mahan. And we all gathered in the ambulance and headed off towards the hospital. It's hard to say whether well, it was alive or dead, I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure. But he had that colour about him, you know, like a grey-green colour. And uh, I thought he certainly wasn't out of this world at that time. I remember I was taking him into the casualty. A, a doctor and a nurse came over and checked him. And I was kneeling down beside him. Uh, I remember looking up at him and saying, I'm sorry, I'm, he's dead. But I do remember the Paris, they were in the hospital as well. With their guns and laughing and joking and all this sort of stuff. 13 people dead, you know. That was brilliant to them, and you know. Uh, but eventually my father arrived. We met him. He says, How's Michael? I said, Dead, uh, Michael's dead. And I remember him sliding down the wall, no crying, you know. And we went home. My, my mother was sitting, I still remember, my mother was sitting in the right left hand corner beside the fireplace, where, you, where she always sat. And we walked in and I says, Ma, Michael's there. Awful. Move, oh, the screams, everybody crying. My mother was sedated. The camera down and so on, you know. And My mother remembers nothing for five years. That's how badly affected she was by losing Michael. Well, truthfully, there was a lot of hatred within me towards the British army, towards the British government, not towards the English people now. They murdered my brother. It badly affected my, my family. It nearly killed my mother, you know, and so on. And I always say to myself, like, my mother could have been a 15th victim. You know, broke, died through a broken heart. But it wasn't with me a situation of going around and talking about it and worrying about it all the time. It was something I just had to deal with. And I had a young child, and then I had one later on, that year of 1972, and we called him make-up, you know, so I I have six sons, by the way. I can't forgive the British Army for what they did here. I can't forgive the British government. Not just him, Michael. And I think I worked through it. I worked through it, you know. And done nothing. You know, but look after my family. But in the back of my head, it was a niggle that something has to be done about it someday. You know. And I think that opportunity came along on the 20th anniversary. When I seen an opportunity of taking on the British government you know and the bloody Sunday justice campaign was formed and I became the chair I was the chairman of it for a long period of time six years and I was engrossed in this engrossed it was a 24-7 with me you know lived and breathed it but I seen an opportunity for trying to do something about it and and to clear Michael's name and all the others, Because up until that point in time, the world believed they we were all air gunmen men and bombers. And eventually, Tony Blair announced a new inquiry into bloody Sunday. I can be proud in the fact that I helped to achieve what we have achieved up to this moment in time, and being right in the middle of it, and helped to put it together. And out of that came the Declaration of Innocence. I'm a much happier person now at the moment, I think. You know, because of what happened last year. I think there's was a, a, a massive cloud has been lifted off me and all the others, and even the city itself. Because of what Saddle did and what David Cameron said. You know, David Cameron, what he said, was very, very brave. You know, a Tory Prime Minister. Not forgetting that the Tories were in power at the time of Bloody Sunday. And within a speech you know, he apologised, he said it was wrong, it was unjustified, it was just, that's incredible. I didn't expect that. Honestly, I didn't expect it. You know? And, out of that gave me peace of mind, I think. It definitely gives me peace of mind. And I do believe I'm healing with inside. I do believe that, you know.
1: Do you think you'll ever forgive?
0: No. I'll give you the reason why for that. First of all, Soldier F murdered my brother Soldier F I can give you his name but I know I can't give it you. E. But Soldier F shot Michael in the stomach just outside there at the barricade The bullet embedded in Michael's spine When he got an autopsy on the body they found the bullet and twisted back the F's rifle F did not claim Michael's death until his fifth statement He gave four statements previous to the military police It did not claim any killing Going to talk. But when he was told that the bullets that was in Michael's body came from his rifle, they had to admit. So he was telling lies up until that point, you know, what he'd done with his bullets because they have to uh, give a reason why they fired and how they fired the shots and so on. Secondly, he came into that care park right side there and he shot dead Bolly McKinney and injured Joe Mahan. But then he went to the square, corner of the square he looked across the street and he seen Paddy Doherty crawling on his hands and knees and he shot him dead Barney mcwigan came out from cover to go to the aid of Paddy Doherty and he shot him dead so he read four people four human beings when he came to give evidence at the Savile inquiry the bloody Sunday inquiry in two days of giving evidence he showed absolutely no remorse total content for what he did, no for the people who was there, for the people who were there. He knew we were there. He knew a lot of families were there who were involved in his killings that day and he didn't give it down. How in the name of God could you forgive someone like that? It's impossible. It's impossible. To hear more of our podcasts and to have your say, visit our website www.thefifthcolumn.co.uk.